0: Hello, folks. How are you doing? Uh, I'm Mark Sermon from the Shuttleworth Foundation, uh, which is the foundation that Mark Shuttleworth uh, set up to uh, help create innovation and opportunity in South Africa. And I'll talk about that in a minute because I think most people here are not familiar with the foundation. Uh, But I want to just set things up a little bit. The the topic that I'm going to focus on today is open sourcing education in South Africa. And I just want to do a quick poll as an intro to that topic about what do we possibly mean by open sourcing education. And that the first part of the quick poll is is there anybody here who kind of found, especially in kind of you know grades 1 through 12, the education system was a bit frustrating or not meeting your needs. I don't know if there's anybody in here like that. I certainly was. Uh, did you also find you know in your subsequent life that you're actually okay at learning things? Yes. And uh, did you find that maybe your curiosity or your uh, kind of tinkering, which I think often comes with people who are interested in free software, uh, is a part of that learning process? A few people. I think you're also tired at the end of the day from this kind of non-open source learning experience that we've been having all day. Uh, that's a little bit about what we mean by at the Shuttleware Foundation open sourcing education. Partly, we mean open sourcing the materials, as we we talked about in the last session, open courseware of education. But we're also talking about making learning something which is much more driven by discovery, by exploration, and by, I think, what naturally helps us learn. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about it in the context of programming that the Shuttleworth Foundation does in South Africa. So, what I'll do first is I'll just take you through a little bit of what the Shuttleworth Foundation's vision is, just so you know who the foundation is. Uh, Then I'll talk in more depth about open source education projects in South Africa that the foundation is involved in uh, and who it works with globally. And then I'll talk at the end just about some connections between what we see as this process of open sourcing education and connecting it into the free and open source software community that we have gathered here over the, the next two days. So first, you know, just some context. I'm I'm sure everybody knows where South Africa is, but if you don't, there it is at the bottom of Africa. Uh, And it's a country with tremendous opportunity, but also a country that is struggling to innovate and compete. It often gets talked about in some, sometimes in the same breath as say India and China, but it isn't moving as quickly as those economies in terms of producing innovators, companies, graduates, who are kind of taking the opportunity that's there, that the country sees ahead of itself. And so the foundation is basically set up to address that challenge. I mean, Mark himself, as you may know, is South African. Uh, and, you know, when he uh, sold thought and decided to, you know, what is he going to do next? Actually, the first thing he decided before Ubuntu was to set up a foundation that was going to help South Africans, the next generation of South Africans, to get the skills and the motivation they need uh, to become innovators and leaders and to help the, fa- the, uh, the country become more competitive and more successful at its own goals. And so that's basically what the foundation is there to do. And Mark spends most of his time on Ubuntu as a team of people in Cape Town who run the foundation pursuing that broader goal. And the foundation basically works in, in three main areas. Um, and those are all areas that we believe are important to pursuing this vision. And you know they may seem disconnected, but they are a part of this broad idea that the knowledge economy, that this whole idea of innovation is central to South Africa's future. Those three areas are wireless and telecom. Basically, South Africa is a country where it's still very expensive to get the incredibly bad connectivity uh, that, that's available to you. There's no competition in the market, uh, and it's a real hindrance both to academic environments and people who want to learn about computers or use using information of any kind, and it's a hindrance to, to the growth of business, knowledge-based businesses uh, in South Africa. The foundation also works in the area of intellectual property. South Africa is, at the moment, at a a very interesting turning point where it could end up with incredibly progressive intellectual property and copyright laws, or it could end up being drawn into the whole Western kind of WIPO-driven revisions of its copyright laws. But it is at this moment uh, in the process of that review, and so the foundation is engaged in advocacy in that area to make sure that there's a a copyright environment and intellectual property environment that's conducive to progressive innovation. And the third area, and where I'll talk the most today, is is what I put there as Education Plus. The Foundation works in a number of areas related to education, uh, all the way from opening up course materials, uh, which I'll talk about, through to actually addressing some of the core problems, and Richard mentioned uh, some of them this morning, around the people who are graduating from South African high schools not having the communications, or the math, or the science skills that they need to really perform in universities. So that's what the foundation does. Uh, and it's important, I think, also to un- understand a little bit about how it does it. It does it based on a set of values that really guide how it works every day. And probably most people at this conference aren't that familiar with, um, with foundations and the world of philanthropy. But most of them work in fairly closed, slow uh, sorts of ways. And you know they all come from the industrial era. The Shuttleworth Foundation is committed to working in a very different manner committed to being open, committing to, committed to being collaborative, and committed to, being, to uh, taking a kind of leveraged approach. In a sense, that's something we call open philanthropy. I mean, we're taking a lot of the principles from open source and trying to apply them to how the foundation works. And you know, I could talk at more length about what those things mean if people are interested, but I think you recognize those as things which are embodied in free and open source software uh, and you can imagine how they might work in other domains. So, as I said, what I'm really going to talk about is just the educational thread of the Foundation's programming uh, and sort of the the broader approach in that area and I won't touch on the other pieces. So, this is a quote from Mark that you can actually find on the Shuttleworth Foundation website and it says, if we are to lift Africa from her current circumstances we will need a generation of learners that are gifted with curiosity about the world and the tools to understand and shape that world. And that quote I picked because it really sim- sums up the piece that I did with you know, with our kind of little poll at the beginning, which is that it's curiosity about the world and the tools to understand and shape it, which we see as really central or at least we see as really lacking in the South African education system uh, and in other education systems. It's about, and, and we kind of had that in uh, uh, two sessions ago, it's about sparking that motivation of students to want to learn and it's something that's not there and that we need to engage in. and that that motivation and the ability to follow it uh, that is going to help South Africa become a more innovative and successful society and is going to help the the individuals graduating from the education system uh, to be able to take an important leadership role in that. So that's a, a sort of philosophy that guides everything. Some of the specific issues that South Africa faces in terms of education are poor access to computers and the internet and if you were here first thing in the morning, Richard talked about the fact that while there is a program to computerize schools, it's very, very slow uh, and there's years and years often uh, before schools get access to to that technology and of course it usually is Windows technology. Uh, Often you don't have, you not only don't have one laptop per child, but you most often don't have one textbook per child, especially in poor and rural schools. Uh, You often will have just one textbook per classroom, so there's a huge lack of just basic learning materials in South African schools. And there's weak results in really key areas that we see as important to, to kind of innovation and progress in the country. Uh, weak maths, weak science, weak analysis skills, and also weak communication skills. So just basically weak writing skills. And one part of that is that there just aren't the teachers in the country who are able to effectively uh, educate in those areas, especially math and science. It's hard to get enough qualified teachers to do that, to do that work. So, you know, those are some pretty huge hurdles uh, to overcome. What the Foundation believes in uh, in all of this is taking sort of an ecosystem approach to addressing some of these gaps. So, we can't alone uh, address these things, and certainly the the teachers of the country, the government of the country are trying to address these things. So, how do we look at what already is happening and look at critical gaps uh, in the ecosystem try to fill some of those gaps, but also push along people who are already innovating and who are already activists uh, in this space. So I'll highlight kind of three projects that are just kind of show you the breadth of activity that the foundation um, has in terms of addressing some of these educational gaps. The first I want to talk about, uh, Richard talked about this uh, earlier today, is Tux Labs, and you can see and guess by this picture. And also, probably guess by the name, but it's about getting computer labs into schools. And that's uh, a Tux Lab that had been installed uh, somewhere in the Cape. I'm not sure exactly where it is, um, but you can tell by those very typical South African school uniforms that that's a computer lab in a South African school. And Tux Labs labs were designed uh, to meet the very basic need for access to computers and internet in an an educational context. I see there's a typo there. Uh, And, you know, the idea is to get these schools, especially rural schools, computerized faster than the government's computerizing them uh, anyways. The result of that program over the course of, I guess it's five or six years now, has been Linux-based computer labs in 200 plus South African schools. So that in and of itself is a useful achievement. It certainly is one of the basic prerequisites to if we want to put computers into the context of changing how learning happens. But it, interestingly enough, isn't something that has changed the whole country. It hasn't been that the government has just picked up uh, Tux Labs, which is an interesting uh, piece that I'll jump into later. But anyways, those 200 are there, and they continue to grow. And I think what's interesting is not just the labs in themselves, which, which, as I say, is an achievement. What's more interesting, and hopefully will have an impact in the long run, is the way in which the labs are actually operated. And and Richard went into much more detail about this this morning. But it's very much a local-driven volunteer driven model. And so there is a lot of local ownership in how these labs happen. Local people are involved in helping to set them up. But what's also happened in addition to that local model, uh, local kind of volunteer model, is two other things have happened. A company has been set up outside of the foundation called Nkuleko, which is there to kind of build a business around the idea of Linux-based computer labs in the country and around Tux Labs. So it's basically the support business behind the Tux Labs concept. And so instead of Tux Labs being something driven by a foundation, it's now something driven by a very fast-moving and innovative company that has an interest in this idea succeeding. So it's very much like what Mark talked about in the opening presentation this morning about the importance of business in the overall Ubuntu ecosystem. It's also important to look at social enterprises and social purpose businesses as a part of driving the educational ecosystem. And similar to that, one of the innovations that Uncle has brought is the idea of local entrepreneurs as a part of that community picture. And so local entrepreneurs are encouraged to set up basically cyber cafes or telecenters uh, beside the school. And in exchange for kind of having access to the infrastructure that the school has set up, the local entrepreneurs are paying for ongoing connectivity and other things which the schools themselves may not have uh, money um, money to pay for. And so there's an interesting kind of model emerging there with Tux Labs not just around getting labs out there and getting access, which is an important prerequisite to other things, but around the sustainability of these school-based computer labs. So that's one piece of the ecosystem, just getting schools connected that the foundation is working on. Another is the idea, which fits onto the the kind of open educational resources talk we just had of free textbooks. And what you see in that picture there is a, a group of people who are involved in something called the free high school science textbook uh, which is a South African project to create uh, free, well, I'll bring up this part of the slide, royalty-free textbooks uh, that are written maintained by volunteers. The first output of that project has been to create grade 10 to 12 science and math uh, texts, which are now complete. And now the project is actually looking at how they can scale from more than just science and math into other areas and more than just grade 10 and 12 uh, into other areas. And I think what's exciting about this is that it's a kind of mix of bottom up and top down. So how we got to the point that we have these free textbooks already is that people like you see in the picture, who most of those folks are uh, grad students or people who just got out of grad school in, in science and math uh, in South Africa, and some of the people also involved in volunteers are as volunteers are teachers or professors, is you know this this initial set of texts was written very much kind of using an open source methodology and an open source ethic where, you know, different people uh, contributed different pieces of the the books, it gradually built up over time, people uh, vetted and peer reviewed and bug fixed each other's material, there was an online collaborative process. So that was the, the grassroots piece of it. Now as that has finished and as some of these textbooks have already been, or all of those textbooks have been tested and piloted in schools there's increasingly interest from the policy side in the Department of Education saying, oh, that might actually be something we can take seriously. And if you had to come just with the raw idea, they may not have done that. They may not have taken it seriously. But the fact that there's a tested, completed, volunteer-run, produced product gets them to wake up. And as the Department of Education gets more interested, that's something that stimulates more volunteer interest, which is why we're now moving into the phase of scaling into more areas. And so there's an interesting interplay between you know, grassroots production of these open source textbooks and the Department of Education policy frameworks. So that's another piece on top of the computer piece. And of course, these textbooks are actually meant to be printed. Uh, the idea is that they're probably about 5 or 10% the cost of normal textbooks. And so what that means is that uh, you know where you could uh, get one textbook in the, in the past, you can get one, or, or so you can get ten or you can get twenty. Which makes a huge difference in a country where, um, where there's a huge lack of textbooks. It also means, because they're royalty free, that if there are pieces missing or if you just need a chapter, that they can be foc- photocopied locally uh, by the teachers or by their schools. So that's a, a second piece of what the Foundation does in education. And then the third piece is something called Kusasa. And before I tell you what Kusasa is, uh, does anybody know what that picture is up there? Right. So those are, those are the one laptop per child OLPCs and that's a, a picture I think in Nigeria. I, I grabbed it from the OLPC people or they sent it to me. And you know, what are some of the things that you think people, the kids will use OLPCs for? And, you know, why is it an interesting concept? What kind of content or what kind of activities do you imagine OLPCs are for? Any ideas? Okay, social networking. Drawing. Writing by their lives, okay. Education, so it's like certainly like reading course materials or if you didn't have the textbooks on paper, you might have them on the, on the screen or whatever. Any other ideas? Well, one of the other ideas, and this is an idea that Mark Shuttleworth himself had, and it's not specifically related to LPC, is what you might actually use them to do is to learn computer programming. And that's basically in some ways what Kasasa is about. It's a project which is specifically targeted at the lack of math and science skills, the lack of analysis skills of kids coming out of the South African school system. And it uses the idea of kind of peer-to-peer learning or student-based learning to ex- and a kind of explore, discover and learn approach in order to teach kids those skills. And really it's, it's kind of a mix of a kind of a gaming environment and a team coding environment where students are actually kind of peer mentors for each other where students use modeling of anything it is that they're interested in. So they may do modeling around uh, how a soccer ball falls up in the air and comes down. Uh, Or they may do modeling around an art project that they're doing. But it's actually about really simplifying the process of learning computer programming starting in grade four as a way for kids to learn modeling, to learn analysis skills, to learn logic skills in an environment where there aren't a lot of math teachers. Can you say it just a bit louder? I'm not sure what the effect of this installing filters on the OLPC will be. I mean, it's a little bit off base from, from this. Um, in the end, it's going to depend on how harsh they get and how micromanergy they get. It could foster learning programming, and I think that if if what you did was actually package a whole set of courses, which is what Kusasa is, encouraging kids to learn programming, uh, it might foster what I think you're implying even more. Uh, Go ahead. uh, Right. Yeah. So there were a number of people who were involved in the development of kind of the Kusasa concept. I think he was actually one of them, as well as the, the fellow behind Squeak and the fellow behind Python. In the end, uh, they decided not to include Logo because it was three languages instead of two. But but all of that thinking is very much in there and is a part of, of what the team uh, is doing. So a lot of that kind of early thinking about how young kids can learn through learning computer programming that's behind things like Logo is very much embedded in the whole concept of Cosasa, for sure. So. Uh, that's a, involves uh, me using math skills that I don't have probably <laughs> about 10 so uh, and at this stage in some ways it's a it's a big and crazy idea but it's an idea that really is uh, supported by this idea of student-centered learning and it's an idea that I think once it gets tried out and we'll, it'll start getting piloted uh, in I guess grades four seven and 10 I might have that a little bit long but wrong but they'll start getting piloted in certain grades uh, starting with grade four in 2008 and I think we'll see and I think built into the the idea of how the foundation is going to work on this is a lot of kind of iterative learning so probably lots of things won't work in the beginning but this is a, a process of, uh, of learning and I put it here just again to emphasize that you know the, the foundation is saying what we need to do is really think very differently about education and that means taking radical approaches in a lot of different areas from something as simple as getting connected and you know doing something that in some places would be seen as anathema like bringing a local entrepreneur into a partnership with the school through to you know looking at teachers as facilitators of learning computer programming instead of as the, the people on the pulpit and getting students like the ones in this picture to, to teach each other um, you know the idea is to really push the edge of education because the belief is that's really critical to South Africa's future and of course there's also a bigger belief uh, that this is critical broadly and that the world of open source uh, has something to offer to how we transform education globally. I just want to, on that point, you know, make one last little thing and it, it speaks to the open courseware and, and Open Educational Resource presentation we just had before this, which is in addition to those very specific things that the Foundation does in South Africa, and the Foundation's mandate really is, as I've said, around South Africa, there's also a belief as a part of this sort of open philanthropy that we need to make sure that the people who we're working with are a part of broader movements. So in the same way that we wouldn't want to imagine uh, you know, a school-based uh, computer software program being con- disconnected from other open source programmers working on similar issues around the world, feel the same way for those free textbooks or for things like Kusasa or even for Tux Labs. That you know, we want to make sure that what's happening in South Africa is connecting into and leveraging Uh, these global movements. So one of the things that we're actively involved in is helping the people who are leaders in this in South Africa to network with other open education activists. This picture right here uh, is a picture from uh, a recent summit held by iCommons, which is kind of the umbrella learning organization uh, of Creative Commons, beyond the, the legal piece of it. And it was an opportunity for some of the South African activists, as well as others, to leverage and learn what's going on globally. And it was interesting. There are way more open textbooks projects than anybody knew about. Sort of, nobody knew about each other's projects, and this whole kind of little cluster of open textbooks projects kind of formed uh, at iCommons. And the sense is that you know that learning and leveraging globally can accelerate what's going on, and that the foundation should you know, as a part of its open source ethics, uh, participate in that networking to to uh, make that acceleration happen. But also that. As you build more and more momentum in, uh, in terms of open education being a movement, there's more of an opportunity for policy change. There's more of an opportunity for governments to get interested in what this can mean in terms of transforming education. And so the Foundation collaborates very closely with people like UNESCO, people like iCommons, others who are there as a part of the international networking and who also have policy change as something that's on their, uh, on their radar. So that gives you a sense of some of the breadth of what the foundation does in education so you have a feeling for this kind of ecosystem approach. I want to say, and I, you know, I've already hinted at some of it, it's not that we would claim that this is sort of magically working. Some of the challenges that we're already coming up against is finding and grooming new leaders. And so if you look at those free textbook projects, just maintaining the leadership team of that one science and math project and keeping the volunteers motivated Especially the ones who are really driving things is very difficult. And that's something that people who are involved in open source software projects will also recognize. Also, replicating, scaling, and sustaining pilots. So, you know, when the first few tech Tux Labs uh, came around, you know, you saw a lot of detail of those three years of history in Richard's presentation. It was a long time before it kind of started to pick up speed where there was a model for community involvement, there was a model that actually got to 200 centers. And even now, there's good creative thinking on sustainability, but it's not something that has arrived or that we've proven. It's something that the Nkula Lake of people are still really working with. And the same is true of the, the free textbooks communities. I mean, getting those sustained, getting them to scale, getting lots of other subjects in the door is a huge challenge, a challenge that uh, you know, is ahead of us. And I think probably most importantly, and, and this is something the foundation is really learning, there's a, a tremendous challenge around getting policymakers on board And then even once you have them on board, uh, getting policy decisions implemented. And so that's been the experience with TuxLab that, you know, it wasn't that immediately the education department said, yes, you know, open source is the right thing. Slowly it started to get on radar, but only through tremendous work. And same with the free textbooks. I mean, even though there's interest now by the policymakers, that interest is not uh, yet affected in terms of... um, real concrete policy decisions, nor is it something that is even close to being implemented at a large scale. We're kind of just negotiating the the edges of that. So there's huge challenges in this, but I think what's exciting about the foundation is that it is working with others in the ecosystem to push this broad approach to improving education in some quite radical ways, and it knows these challenges are there. The last thing I want to just talk about, and it's certainly the thing that I'm most interested in talking to people about over the next day or so, is that as we approach these challenges, I think there's a lot to learn from the open source community and the free software community. And it's one of the nice things about the link between Canonical uh, and the Shuttleworth Foundation both being uh, under Mark's leadership, is that much of what we've sort of solved as problems in the open source world may be things that we can bring into areas like education or maybe even other areas like health or government. I think that the open source world has learned a lot and probably takes for granted at some point a a number of things around governance, around collaboration, around kind of how to do um, large-scale collaborative projects. And three areas where I think we're specifically looking to engage people from the open source world, get them involved in, in working with the people the foundation supports, include managing these textbooks communities. Uh, and looking at massive peer production. And so, you know, when we talked about OER and translation in the last one, or just, you know, generally repurposing of materials, you know, we, the scale of which a lot of this open educational content is happening is very small. If you wanted to s- talk about something like uh, the Commonwealth of Learning's objective of having a complete set of free textbooks for K-12 by 2015, and imagine how you maintain and evolve those textbooks, you're starting to talk about levels of, peer production communities or sizes of peer production communities that require a great deal more skill than exists out there in the education community right now. And that's something we can learn from the open source community about. There also, I think, is a lot to be learned from the open source community about working across many languages and balancing local and global. Certainly there's no question, as we heard in the last presentation, that the translation issues both present uh, huge opportunity and huge challenges. The tools aren't there, but also I think the expertise uh, isn't there and more importantly I think in education than in software there's a huge issue in the sense that the flow of information in educational content really does go from rich countries to poor countries from north to south but there's tremendous innovation and knowledge in countries that don't have big publishing empires and so there's also an opportunity as we build effective and um, uh, kind of more horizontal flows of information and translation systems to really actually bring a richer more diverse a kind of voice set of voices into educational content that we use. And then I think, you know, finally there's obviously something to be learned from open source in the educational world around building global networks and building global movements. Although I would say in the last year that I've been looking at this space, um, you know, there's tremendous growth in what that global network is around open educational content, although much more at the higher education level than at the K-12 level where it's equally needed. So, I'll just finish with that same quote from Mark to emphasize that really I think the curiosity and tools combination is an important one for us to think about. It's not just a matter in terms of open sourcing education of getting the content out there. It's not just a matter of getting computers out there. It is a matter of actually encouraging a different way of learning and enabling a different way of learning and then all of the open content, all of the open software is going to be something that's great raw material, that's great tools. But until we actually shift our thinking and get away from this podium lecture mode where I'm actually standing right now, uh, I don't think that education is is going to change much. So thanks very much, and uh, certainly happy to answer any questions or to have conversations uh, afterwards. You had your hand up in the back.